From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Milwaukee, Wisconsin and currently residing in Salt Lake City, Utah. He is the founder and CEO of ProfitWell. Please welcome Patrick Campbell. That's awesome. I, I feel like I have to be like the heel or a wrestler. Like I have to like come out here and like have a storyline. Like we're going to be talking about freemium today. It's going to be awesome. Like we'll take down acquisition growth. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel right now. But that was good. I enjoyed you it. may have just given me an idea actually, maybe to hype up the release of certain episodes. I will just do my like Hulk Hogan or my stone cold yeah. impression and put a video on link to be like, well, let me tell you something, brother. Patrick Campbell's coming on the show. To talk about freemium. <laughs> We're talking startup growth. We're talking subscriptions. <laughs> like, All right, so he's <laughs> he's Patrick Campbell again, founder CEO of ProfitWell. What is ProfitWell? Well, it's the software for helping subscription companies with their monetization and retention strategies. They also provide free turnkey subscription financial metrics for over eight thousand companies. Actually, I should say twenty thousand companies at this point. Um, they're They've been totally bootstrapped. There's 70 employees and some of their banner clients include Masterclass, which has been just blowing up recently, Meetup, BigCommerce, Canva, Autodesk, HubSpot, and more. Uh, I have been a huge fan. I, I honestly, I don't know how I got subscribed to the ProfitWell newsletter. I must have clicked something and not remembered it, but I am subscribed to it. And I've just been absorbing their content like crazy. Uh, oftentimes if you're subscribed to the startup hype man newsletter and we put out our weekend reading every few weeks on a Saturday, um, where we just collate uh, articles from around the web that are interesting related to startup growth. Uh, oftentimes I have been including profit well articles in that roundup of weekend reading. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Patrick. Our topic today is the economics of freemium versus free trial. Now your whole world professionally is built around this concept more or less. So at least if you can bite size it, if you can sound bite it, why is this on your mind and why do you feel it's important? Yeah, it's a good question. So for what it's worth, I actually was very anti-freemium six, seven years ago. So I've come a long way. Uh, but I think here, here's the basic idea. We're living in a world now and it doesn't really matter what type of company you are and what you're selling, but we're living in a world where it's getting harder and harder to distribute your product because uh, channels are getting more dense. This is why we're you know, reinventing them with things like ABM and things like that. And also there's just a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of different products out there. We're all riding the internet wave, which is fantastic. Um, but we're reaching a point where it's just getting harder and harder and more expensive. And so one of the most beautiful things you can do is use the best content you have, which is your product, uh, and essentially lower that activation energy to someone checking you out uh, and then nurturing those leads over time. So the best way to kind of think about freemium, and I think to more directly answer your question is, uh, freemium is an acquisition model, it's not a revenue model. And because of that, you need to think about it like a premium ebook that's opening up the top of the funnel, rather than thinking about it as a part of your pricing. Uh, and the result is typically, you change the onus of conversion from some artificial sales process or you know some artificial you know, pressure to that customer is able to convert hopefully with some nudges on their own terms uh, over time. So yeah, maybe you don't get them in those first 30 days, but you get them six months from now and you're able to nurture that lead with more than just you know newsletters and things like that, but with an actual product. 
We're going to dive a whole lot more into this, and I've got a bunch of questions that I want to pick your brain on. Before that, let's learn a little bit more about Patrick Campbell, the man, the myth, the god himself. <laughs> uh, before we, we went on air here, um, we were actually talking about your upbringing in the Milwaukee area, I talked about how you were a Brewers fan growing up. I'm actually curious, uh, did you play baseball growing up? And if so, or even just recreationally, did you like, you know, like grab a few friends and hit a tennis ball with a wooden bat? Uh, and if so, whose batting stance did you emulate when you would step up to the plate? <laughs> oh, man, that's such a tough question. Uh, I, I did play baseball growing up, um, kind of like Little League more than yeah. anything. Um, you know, college and, or high school, college, it ended up being more football, wrestling, uh, some rugby, that type of stuff. But in baseball, um, I kind of grew up in the like Paul Molitor phase yeah. of, of the Brewers. Um, and so, you know, it was always like Paul Molitor. Oh, like Paul Molitor, like that's the guy because he was like the, the, the famous guy. And then, um, yeah, so that was, that, that's probably who I would have emulated. I probably didn't even have the sophistication to understand the differences between uh, stances and things like that. Um, but yeah, so that's probably who I looked up to there. See, when I was growing up, and I, I was such a diehard baseball fan growing up, um, my friends and I, when we would be like killing time, we would literally have this like game we just called batting stance game where someone would grab a oh, bat and you just have to like guess whatever batting stance they were doing. <laughs> and then like you'd, you'd keep the bat until like once someone guessed it right, then it became their turn to do a batting stance. <laughs> That's great. That's a great game because it takes like a sophistication to understand yeah, like, you have to know a lot about batting stances, or at least you know the the more dramatic ones. To yeah, and I'll tell you now, like I, I mean, <laughs> I had the time from ages like six through eighteen to know everything possible about to know like the level of metrics you know about SaaS subscription models was the, <laughs> was the level of detail I knew about baseball players and how they behaved and their and their averages and stats and all that stuff. Now that. it's just like. I'm lucky if I can remember everyone who's on the Cubs roster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like but you, so you, men you mentioned, okay, so you played baseball. You talked about rugby and wrestling as well. Um, so you do have a decent, like, athletic background. And I always like to ask when people who have played sports in their life, I feel like it's something that never leaves you in the sense of, like, the mentality or what you learned from it. And, you know, while I played mm. Little League Baseball, I ended up running track in high school. And that became the thing I probably extracted the most life lessons and advice from. What yeah. sport was your like, man, when I think back to my experience in blank, yeah. I learned this and it stays with me today. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's not exactly a sport, although we've debated if it is a sport. It's more of a competition. So I did, my big thing in high school and college actually was more uh, speech and debate. Oh, uh, perfect. And yeah. Yeah. So I went... Um, you know, and, and the thing with speech and debate is like you learn, you learn to have a voice. And I think that, you know, not to, you know, get too deep into it, didn't have like the greatest childhood, all that kind of fun stuff. And so when, you know, I was in high school with like speech and debate, it was like, oh, this felt really empowering, right? To, but also kind of terrifying because I think a lot of people don't know, like, you know, when you're in speech and debate, you're literally, you know, you go into a room with five other people and you're literally ranked against them. Um, and then if you go through enough of those rounds, then you get to a final round, you're literally ranked against the best people at that tournament or whatever, right? And so I went to college on a debate scholarship um, and I did that for 40 hours a week for four years, um, basically writing, you know, arguing these types of things. Uh, and so that was probably the most kind of uh, forming or the most kind of substantial piece uh, in terms of my, my like, you know, young life uh, that was, you know, really, really helping me in terms of company because you, you end up learning how to communicate. You end up how to like structure your thoughts and you know this better than anyone. It's just like, that's, that's kind of the game, whether you're dealing with people that you're trying to hire, whether you're trying to put together a landing page, whether you're trying to figure out product, it's all about kind of prioritization and, you know, understanding things and then communicating them to other people. And so, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. I always, and I, it, at the national level, it's college, like it's the most competitive thing I've ever done in my life. Like mm. when you go to nationals and you're, you know, going through the prelim rounds and one of the tournaments, the there's two national tournaments, but one of them, you know, you have like, I think it's like six prelims, which is over in multiple days and you're carrying six different events. Um, and you're in a suit walking around a college campus, which is always fun. 
And then all of a sudden you get to quarterfinals, which is the top 24 in the nation and top 12 and semis and then top six. And then, you know, I was, you know, very fortunate, um, you know, through a lot of hard work and, you know, some other fun stuff of just being able to, you know, be in multiple final rounds, um, you know, that are going on and stuff like that. And yeah, like when everyone's that good and, you know, it's coming down to, oh, that was a little distracting your tie in like point two, like, and it's that, you know, that's the difference between, uh-huh. you know, you know, first place, third place, like it's a good pressure cooker, which I enjoyed. So with that kind of a background of speech and debate, do you view uh, like this year's presidential debates and even the primary debates, do you view that with like a very analytical lens because it's just like ingrained in you? Or are you able to just watch it as like, entertainment or just as like a citizen who, who's going to vote yeah i think um i don't know i think it's hard for everybody right and i think it's the, the difficulty i have with everything going on is and not not to get political but i think everyone kind of sucks and that doesn't mean that some <laughs> people don't suck more than others to be clear but i think that what i most get frustrated with and, and this is also hard from a company perspective because i think that there's 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 this culture that's happening um throughout everything including politics where truth is, you know, malleable, right? Mm. And it's not that like the truth is always black and white. Like it's rarely black and white, right? There's always a lot of gray with like, you know, circumstances and things like that. But it is one of those But there are things that are like statistical facts versus not that are being considered, right? Well, yeah, but you can also, you know, interpret things one way or the other. Like, Mm. yes, we should agree on the facts, but then like what we do based on those facts, that's all very debatable. And I think that, and this is, this was happening long before Trump. I think Trump's going to get blamed for most of it, but he, he was more of a, uh, he was was less of a cause and more of like a symptom of this like environment, I think. Mm. And I think what's, what's kind of crazy is such a powerful thing. And it's become weaponized multiple sides, however you want to be politically. Like, yes, I'll say like, oh, my side's more right. So they're not doing this. And it's like, no, they're all doing it. Um, and I actually, I was going to- More right meaning more correct in this case to not come. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're more like, oh, well, my side, you know, we, we overlook the, the biases or because of our bias, the things that our side or our tribe or whatever does. Um, in reality, I think the pursuit of truth has, um, you know, started to been eroded over the past, you know, couple of decades and you know we're seeing the most extreme of that this year and that's what that's what's really frustrating because with debate it's less about winning like it is about winning like from a competitive standpoint but it's more about like what is the truth or what is the crux of the argument that's going to win yeah like, and, like, like let's pursue making that. a compelling case right yeah totally and that's that's not happening you know not only because we can't agree on facts but also because i'll say something a little outlandish hopefully this gets you gets you some rage tweets out there but like you know, like, like just, just as an example, you know, the Russia involvement in 2016, right? I don't know what happened still. And I'm a pretty educated person and I've looked <laughs> into it and there's a lot of information. But like, I know it's not nothing, which one side's saying. And I know it's not like they literally hacked into, you know, a bunch of stuff yeah. and, you know, changed votes. So it's kind of like one of those things where I'm like, that, that's a really good emblematic, you know, uh, situation where it's like, I know something happened and nothing should have happened and we should fight against whatever's happening. But also like, I don't know where the spectrum we are. I don't know where truth is because it's all been weaponized. And I think that's really problematic. And it's also been hard, you know, to bring it back to like, you know, growing a company because uh, I think that we, you know, this kind of filters into your company and it's like, it, it's, it's just tough. Yeah. For timeline context for everyone, Patrick and I are recording this two weeks prior to the election, yeah. the presidential election. But this episode, as you're hearing it live, everyone uh, is being released about a month or so after, uh, or within right. a month of the election. So just so everyone's aware of that. Yeah. Um, and so actually, Patrick, one, you may want to go if back. If the world explodes, yeah. I was going to say, if the world explodes <laughs> and I said something wrong, I apologize. I think I stayed more objectively observant than uh, making any claims, but uh, we'll see what happens. One thing you may be interested in actually going back to and listening to is the season finale of the previous season of this show, I invited uh, Jason Voyevich on who's doing this thing called the Marketer in Chief Project where he analyzes every US president through the lens of what if they were a CMO. Oh, that's um, cool. And his, with the episode we did for the season finale, which was released leading into the election, was titled How to Swing an Election with 46K. And he actually talks about what was the Russia involvement and what actually happened from like a social media and digital marketing perspective. Yeah. So you may be interested in going back That's to great. that and, and listening to that. Okay, so let's talk about profit well then. Um, in, in the worst <laughs> Hard segue, in, yeah, in the, in the worst segue in podcast history, Russia profit well. Um, 
How did ProfitWell come about? Can you give us kind of like the 60 second story here of what made you say, yeah. hey, I'm gonna start a company around getting better subscription metrics out into the world? Totally. Yeah, so basically the short answer is pure hubris, uh, <laughs> which is always fun. Um, I, you know, after school, you know, obviously being in debate and stuff, you talk a lot about political and government things. And so I was like, I'm gonna go help save the world. So education was my big thing. You know, it's the silver bullet as we all like to say, but you know, there's a lot of like issues to try to figure out how to, you know, solve that problem. So I started interning in DC and these types of things. I ended up actually, you know, evolving kind of like what I wanted to work on. I ended up working, my first job was at the, in the US intelligence community. Uh, so I worked at the NSA, uh, which is fun. It was pre-Snowden. So yeah, let's just throw another like, you know, rage tweet out there too. So yeah, so it was pre-Snowden and it, it was interesting, you know, being an entry-level Intel analyst. But, you know, when you're working for the government, you start to realize how slowly it moves and how bureaucratic it is. And when you're a young punk kid who's trying to like ambitiously win, whatever that meant, you're like, it's not moving fast enough, right? So, and I had a really good conversation about, you know, how you can best help the world. And, and someone, you know, that I, I really respected was telling me, hey, like, one of the best things you can do is go get experience, right? Like, go get experience, then come back to the government or go get experience and then go through the private sector or nonprofit sector or these types of things. Because making change inside the government takes decades. And, you know, if you want to go quicker, like, you should go get experience. So I went and worked at Google, actually, which I thought, oh, tech company, it won't be bureaucratic. You know, 30,000 people when I was there. So, of course, it's bureaucratic. And so it's the same, like, you know, hunger of, like, oh, I care more than my boss, which probably was never actually true, but that's how I felt. Uh, and so I jumped out from there after, you know, working on some really cool stuff around like value modeling and um, went into the startup world, worked for a company that was a competitor to Blue Nile, so customizable jewelry, um, and worked on pricing mm -hmm. there. And then basically realized, hey, we, you know, pricing is something that we don't know a lot about, but it's super important. There's probably a product there. And because I was, you know, mid twenties and like, I think if I'm going to do it now, like I got, or if I'm going to do it ever, I got to do it now is like start something myself. And I can always, you know, go be a barista or dig ditches or something if, you know, things go terribly and yeah, then started the company and then it quickly evolved into, you know, helping subscription companies with their metrics and then studying those metrics and then helping them with, you know, some of these harder parts of growth around pricing and retention and things like that. But that's the rambly uh, non-PR version of uh, how it all worked out. <laughs> well, it's okay. So, but I think it gives a good backdrop into why you care about this stuff in the first place. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, to your point, pricing is something that gets overlooked. And I think a lot of us, myself included, know it's a thing that's important. We don't necessarily know how to go about pricing strategies. We just kind of look at what other people are doing. We're like, oh, well, they price it at that, so maybe we should price it at that. Or they went with this strategy, so if we do it, it'll work for us as well. Not necessarily taking into account the mechanics of your product or your business versus what someone else is doing. So the primary topic today is the economics of free trial versus, free, or versus freemium. Uh, I think the best starting point for that would be Let's, and, and this may be, this question may actually be beneath you, but I think it is, I think it is a good introductory question here to this topic. Nothing beneath me. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I think there's actually more of a misunderstanding of what qualifies as freemium versus what qualifies mm. as free trial than we would give credit to. So can you just define freemium versus free trial? No, these are the best questions because it forces us to like define our terms, but also mm. just like make sure we're all talking about the same thing. So the best way I think to think about this is a free trial is basically a taste of the product. And what that means is that we are going to open up the product uh, most of the time in a full featured way. Uh, and you get a set amount of time in order to uh, use the product and basically try the product out. And then after that set amount of time, uh, you will have to start paying or you no longer get the product. Freemium on a very, very high sense is basically we are going to give you free access to a certain portion of the product or a limited amount of the whole product basically into perpetuity. And so this is why it gets a little tricky because you have a couple types of freemium. There's one type of freemium where it's just literally like, here's a product for free forever. 
And then we are going to make money either by selling you a premium version of that product or like different add-ons. So this is kind of what profitable metrics is, is that no matter your size, no matter how much you're going to use it, these types of things, um, you get it for free. So we have fortune 50 companies on Profwell um, using the product for free. We have Johnny and Jane startups, you know, using the product for free. And then we sell these add-ons that we can show you like, Hey, this metric in your business is not good. Your retention is bad. Turn this on and we'll, we'll make it good. Right. I was just going to, the other type of freemium is typically like, and this is a little more traditional. I call it a faux free trial, which is basically you get a hundred visits a month or a hundred opens a month. And then basically 14 days in, if I'm your target customer, I should be going through all hundred. And then I either have to wait to the next month to get the, the next hundred, the reset of that amount, or I can convert. And if I'm not a good target customer, maybe I don't use a hundred of those opens or whatever it is. And then I just kind of keep using it until I, you know, I'm kind of forced to upgrade because I want to use more. So that's basically what I mean by free trial and then also freemium. Um, and some people do combine these, but that's a little, little more advanced than I think your question. Well, and I'm glad I asked the question because I think it, it actually does break it down really well. Thank you for that. And I still actually have questions on just like the difference between the two. So yeah, let's look at like, for example, you know, one of the great Silicon Valley cases is Dropbox, which yep. they came out and they said, you're going to get whatever it was like two gigs of storage for free. You don't have to pay anything, but if you want to go, once you get to 2.01 gigs, we're going to ask you to start paying. Yep. So that would be freemium. Correct. Yep. yep. And then free trial would be, um, let me think here. Uh, I actually, I recently tried using a, like a LinkedIn automation software and mm -hmm. it was 14 days free. And on day 12, they were like, your subscription's running out soon, upgrade with us. And, and that was free trial. And then I think that faux freemium, what you're saying is there's the ones where it's like, I think it was, uh, there's a company called lead feeder that I'm aware of. They, and their whole product is like, they show you, you know, who is actually hitting your website? Like where, like where are they coming from? What's their IP address? What company looked at your website? Yep. And they're saying, Hey, you're going to get like whatever 20, like knowledge of who's hitting your website is like one credit. Uh, and you're going to get 20 credits this month. Yep. And if you get enough website traffic, you're probably going to want to know who is beyond those 20 credits. But if you don't, then you're just going to get your reset of 20 next month. And you'll probably, you might be a free user forever. Is that yep. the faux freemium? So, yeah. So free trial is uh, the LinkedIn tool you're describing. Dropbox and lead feeder would be the faux free trial, but they're freemium. So uh -huh. what I mean by that is because Dropbox, you can, you know, yes, you can use it for free forever, but you only get those two gigs, right? So they're putting a limit on, yeah. on what you get. It's a little, again, like we have to draw lines so that we can talk about it, but they, they do blend a little bit. Um, forever free would kind of be like, um, I mean, ProfitWell is the example I always use, obviously mm. self-serving. Um, it's always hard to like come up on the spot with examples, but uh, forever free would kind of be like... Canva, I think, is forever free. Yeah, that's a good example. Canva is basically forever free. You can use it forever or free. There are very few limits. And then if you want to do some particular things, you have to, to basically upgrade. Yeah, it'll um, be like, hey, if you want access to all the templates, pay us. Yeah. But exactly. you can still, you can, for a lot of people like myself, um, I can get by using the free version for a yeah. long ass time <laughs> and, exactly. and, and, honest, and honestly, probably forever. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> okay. Um, on that note, freemium is a pretty mainstream word today and I'm glad we just defined it. Uh, and I, I would say mainstream, at least in the tech industry, but it wasn't always that way. And from what I've learned from reading your material is that, you know, pre-modern internet, whatever you'd call it, internet 2.0, whatever, and, um, there was freemium uh, with many companies. So from your research, when was freemium first popularized? And for anyone listening, like you're not going to hear like, oh, Uber did it 10 years ago. It, it, it comes way before that, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah, so freemium... For some of the older listeners or people who, you know, are historians of the internet culture, uh, you know, there used to be freeware, right? There was freeware, shareware, these types of things. Um, you shareware, know, and, that's a throwback word. <laughs> yeah. No, but freeware was actually predated that as well, right? And, and this is kind of where software used to be, right? It was kind of like, you know, we'll give it away for free, but then we're also the host. So you just pay us for hosting. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we'll, that's, that's how we'll pay you, but you get the free access to the games and these types of things. And so, yeah, freeware back in the day, or even if you remember those AOL discs, oh, yeah. um, a lot of times those AOL discs, they, they tried um, either a free trial, which I think was like a 30-day kind of a thing, but some of them also were you get up to X for free as long. Yeah, as it was like doing. thousand hours free. I mean, I remember it got, it got like ludicrous where it was like the first disc we got in the mail was like 50 hours free. Then you start getting like thousand hours free or, totally. but it was like, it was like thousand hours or 30 days, whichever comes first, you know? Yeah, yeah. But the, the long story short is like, I think that free, freeware and freemium have been around for a long time. I think it, it started to get popularized because it, it, it all follows structure and infrastructure, right? it's hard to have free software when you don't have a relationship with the customer and it's hard to have a relationship with the customer unless you have a cloud application, right? Cause you just have their email or something like that, which is not bad. It's just, I got to keep hitting you up to sell a perpetual license or something like that. So it really came about when I could start charging you based on some sort of usage or some sort of value. That's where free UMEM started to get a little bit more popularized and it's ebbed and flowed since those early days. And the main reason it's ebbed and flowed is because, you know, there's always this debate around, oh, well, you should just charge for it or, hey, and, and also I think like a lot of the ad models have given freemium a bad name because it's like, oh, if I'm, I hate this phrase so much, but it's like, if I, uh, if it's free, then you're the product. Like, yes, that used to be true. That um, was in that social true. media dilemma documentary, I'm sure you're I know. familiar with. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, it's not that it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. It's hmm. just incomplete because that's old school free. And I think that free is just dying anyways, because the ad model is just not great um, hmm. from a monetary perspective anymore. It's just better to go subscription now. Uh, and so I think that now because of all the competition and also how we can track and the infrastructure we have, it's now easier to more cheaply produce some sort of version of our product or a completely separate product and then just offer that up for free in order to track those users or those customers or get them to kind of get over that initial trust gap in order to you know, convert and, and pay for your product. Okay. So the question that that stemmed from was like, what was the birth of this, right? So yeah. if we advance from birth into like, you know, where I say we're at a decently mature era of these types of models from all the data profit well has gathered are there like industry agnostic benchmarks for what a conversion rate on freemium should be and what conversion rate on free trial should be so yes and no um we do have benchmarks on this but the problem is that the variance of those benchmarks are insane uh, mm -hmm. because again you got to think about your, you know, back to the premium ebook, you know, kind of analogy, right? Or metaphor here. So if you write an ebook or one of your podcast episodes, right? Some of those podcasts do really, really well and convert, you know, in whatever you're trying to do much, much better than the others, right? Mm -hmm. And so even if I take 30 companies that sell a product for $10 a month, all going to have different, you know, freemium, you know, conversion rates, because some of them are just better at getting good leads and others of them are terrible at getting good leads, right? So, you know, we, we, we do have some of this data, but I would say that the, the more important thing is, is that making sure that you're tracking not only that conversion um, at the point of like when they sign up in the first 30 days, but you're tracking it over six months. So doing some sort of cohort essentially for those free users. So they sign up and then tracking how long does it take them to convert because you can't think about it like a traditional sales process. Uh, and so when we see people do that, you start to get into situations where, you know, of good leads, you know, you should have 50%, you know, converting if they're good leads, that might be a very narrow part of your, you know, entire lead base that's signing up for a freemium product. Um, but that's, that's kind of what you should get to, um, you know, within six months. Let me, let me try to maybe take a little bit more like micro rendition of that same question. Um, and to give you some context, I work with a lot of early stage startups seeking seed investment. Um, helping them figure out their investor pitch and their, their yeah. pitch deck. And oftentimes part of that investor pitch is, you know, what's the, what's the acquisition model here? And sometimes I'll hear the entrepreneur be like, you know, as we're strategizing, they'll be like, uh, oh, we're going freemium or we're, we have a free trial model here. Um, 
what kinds of businesses, if, and I don't know if this is even a fair question to ask, you tell me, but what kinds of businesses does it make sense to say we're going to go free trial versus it makes more sense to say freemium? And the, the pairing with that question that I also need to ask is where do you see a lot of like naivete around mm. entrepreneurs figuring this stuff out? Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer the naivete part. First, because I think that most of the time we see it, the, the, the phrase I like to use with this and some other things is it, it's a scalpel. It's not a sledgehammer, right? Like the best folks in the world who are doing freemium, they don't do it right away. They don't do it in the first couple of years. They end up, you know, basically waiting until they understand how to convert leads. And as soon as they understand how to convert leads, like in a really efficient manner, that's when they use freemium because it kind of opens up, you know, the, the top of the funnel. Now there are exceptions to this. If you have a product that it very necessarily needs a network effect, right? Facebook can't wait two years, you know, when it started in order to, you know, basically, you know, try to get people on the platform. Like they actually need that freemium model to get the network effect to make the network work. Right. Or, you know, even with ProfitWell, I think we probably did freemium a little early because we knew that, getting the data allowed us to make our paid products better um, and also allowed us to, to kind of like start building that brand that we needed to do um, in a space that doesn't have like a lot of logos. Um, and the other issue is when people have like a top 20 person in growth, you know, it's fantastic, you know, to, to have freemium up front. So I think that those are the biggest mistakes that we see is that people just do it too early. Um, and the other thing that they do is they typically, uh, they think that freemium is just a cheap version or a worse version of their product. And your freemium product has to be better than the paid competition. Um, and that's what I don't think a lot of people know. It's like, if it's not good, people aren't going to use it, right? Now, you know, models that work well with freemium and don't work well, which I think was, was your question, um, your other question, you know, I think that over time, like in the next 10 years, I don't think you're going to be able to build a successful business in the, the SaaS or subscription space without a freemium offering. And that's just looking at the density and the cost of marketing that's going up. Now, an enterprise product, your freemium product might have very little to do with your actual product you're selling, but it might end up you know, basically getting you the right type of customer to then go and talk to, right? And that's, you know, that's a little bit of a harder sell because right now, like it just doesn't make sense from a unit economics uh, perspective to do that. But I think that's what the future holds. Um, but for now, I think any product where, you know, people want to try a product or you want to, you know, basically build brand voice or have people grow with you um, or rely on, you know, them actually having a deeper relationship with your brand rather than just like a newsletter. Um, freemium's fantastic. It's just, you know, you obviously have to look at your numbers to, to make sure that they, they all work out. I want to come back to something you said about a minute ago. You said your freemium product has to be better than the paid competition. Can you just expand on that a little bit more? And yeah. what kind of like pitfalls have you seen companies run into? Yeah, I think it really comes down to uh, just perception, right? So it doesn't have to be better, but it's got to be pretty close to the paid competition. Because if, remember, you're starting this relationship and then sort of starting it on a phone call or in a sales process, which also has its own problems, you're starting it by like, hey, you're wondering if you should use this product. Well, check out this free version, which is a taste of that product, right? You're probably not saying this this way, but, and if it's worse or it's bad or you didn't put enough time into it or you're not like scoping it properly, that's a really bad first impression. And then it's going to be really hard to convert that customer, whether it's touchlessly or through a sales process, right? And the reason I say it has to be better is because people go into a free product right now, at least in this point in our history, assuming the product is going to be not great. And then when it shows up and it's better than the paid competition, you've just gained an insane amount of brand loyalty. We see this all the time. We have a lot of, comp of paid competitors in the subscription metric space. Uh, and one of those things where people, in the early days at least, now we have some good word of mouth going, they just kind of assumed, oh, it must be worse because it's free and uh, they're doing it to you know, do consulting or something like that. None of which is true, but that's the perception. And then we started to get people using it and they're like, oh, wow, this is so much better. I can actually you know, cancel my other account, right? And that gained us so much loyalty in the sense that one, we get a lot of word of mouth now, but two, 
we're able to basically, you know, when we reach out to them and we're like, hey, you should really think about this paid product, we always get the phone call. Like we don't have to worry about them being annoyed or something because they have, you know, a level of gratitude that they're getting so much for free. And I think we probably give a, a lot or too much away for free, but uh, that's a whole nother, whole nother ball game. What would you say is the lead indicator of success? And perhaps it is just like product experience. Hmm. Well, the leading indicator, yeah, that's a good question. It's probably some element of, I don't want to say usage, but for most companies, it'll be usage. It's, it's more some element of, is the user getting what they're supposed to get? So for some cases, it's usage. Hey, they're using it every day or they're using it weekly, whatever the, the cadence is supposed to be. The product's a little bit, like our product, like analytics, th- there's no rhyme or reason to a company that really, really invests and spends every day in an analytics tool and those companies that look at it twice a month, both will get the same amount of value. And I know that's a little counterintuitive, but it's like that some people are just like, I want to look at that graph every day. And other people are, I only need to look at it twice a month when I'm doing reporting, right? And so what's really kind of interesting is we don't, we, we do look at active usage, but we, we think more about like, are they doing, using it for whatever they need to do, which is sometimes hard to measure. But I think that's probably an early indicator. Are they getting the value of whatever it is? And then this, the next indicator is, is this resulting in sales or at least opportunities, conversations, demos, whatever, of the people you're trying to sell? And then the downstream indicators are obviously revenue, these types of things. Sure. Well, and I, I would say that kind of drives back to, it, it, do they like it out of the gate? Because they're not going to get yeah. that continued usage if they don't like it out of the gate. And actually, what that reminds me of is last season, we had Sean Amirati as a guest who authored the book, The Science of Growth. Um, him and his team did a full research project looking at when you have two companies with similar offerings and who both achieve product market fit, what is it that mm-hmm. leads, for example, Facebook to scale up, but Friendster to stall out? Um, mm, interesting. You know, and he looked at different pairs of companies like that. And one of the things he mentioned both on the episode and in his book, was that there's actually like four prerequisites for success before you can even think about you know, that scaling up point. And one of those prerequisites was excellent first interaction. If you don't have that with your customer uh, or your potential customer, you've got no chance because no one's going to say, hey, this one sucked, but I'm willing to come back a second time because it might be a better experience. And yeah. the other thing it makes me think of is... Um, a almost like an ethos I try and preach is how can you make your customer experience or or think about like touch points, right? Like I I like to think about it within the sales process, but it's very much a product thing as well. How do you make what you've created so fundamentally or radically different or interesting or exciting that the, the person who interacts with it and experiences with it, they can't go to sleep that night until they tell someone else about it. That's cool. Right? Like that, that's, I think what has to be, or it has to be close to that for that first interaction. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, this leads me into a question here. So there, there's one company here in Chicago. It's newer. I just started working with them uh, on some pitch stuff. Uh, and I'm like their biggest brand advocate. It's called Swish House. It is basketball fitness classes. And and no one's awesome. ever done this before. See, look, your, your first reaction. That's awesome, right? No one has done this before. It is the best effing workout you will get, and you won't even realize it because you're playing basketball. And it's not like you're going to the gym and running a game of five on five. It's like being in like middle school or high school basketball practice again. That's where so you're doing good. like the weave. You're going cone to cone and, and you know, like doing a turn jump shot, that kind of stuff. You're playing knockout as part of your workout. Um, that's cool. Their first interaction is so good. I'm not, when I say I can't sleep the first time I experienced going to a class by the time I was walking out the door, I had called my brother. I had called one of my best friends to tell them about this amazing class I had just did. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is because I, I want to ask about the economic side of it is they have a model where it's first class for, it used to be $5, but now it's first class for $10 which is a massive discount to what the actual monthly membership is like a hundred or whatever. So, you know, that's a different kind of Trojan horse. I think, where would you slot that into this freemium free trial faux freemium? Yeah, that's um, the closest it would be is basically like a free trial. I mean, it's technically not free, um, but I think discounted trial. 
Yeah, and I think th- there are some arguments, and this gets into this this whole concept of the penny gap, right? Like, how do I get the first penny um, or get you over zero to paying a penny or more, right? Um, I I think that basically, I don't, I doubt that. Well, maybe that ten dollars or whatever covers the cost of the class for them. No idea, or at least I, I don't know how they their model is for paying like the instructor or something like that, but. Yeah, I think that's kind of like a uh, basically a discounted trial or close to a free trial. And it's it's as close to free as possible because I think that when you're dealing with something like that, you don't want no-shows. You don't want people... Right, they know, have to have... Because yeah, it involves them and, yeah, being somewhere. They have to kind of like buy into it a little bit. And yeah. we, we do see this work well. It's just it's for certain types of products, it works well. You see dollar-free trials sometimes. And also, yeah. if you have a lot of spam, like free trial spam, it also, it also works. And every company at some point, if they reach a sizable amount and have a touchless sales process, will have a lot of free trial spam at some point. Hmm, Okay. That's interesting. One thing you talk about in a lot of your content is this notion of perpetual value. Um, what is perpetual value? And when it comes to creating and delivering that, how can a company figure out what would actually be considered valuable to the user base? Yeah, I think it's, it comes back to this idea of like just value-based building, value-based pricing, these types of things. And just making sure that essentially you have like value constantly maintaining a certain level, if not actually improving over time and compounding. And there's a lot of ways to get this, um, not just involved with freemium, but you don't want a situation where kind of like a retail product where like you buy the piece, the, the sandwich, you eat the sandwich, value done, right? You want something where you're constantly getting some sort of value um, that you're providing the user. Maybe they're not using it all the time, but they, they, they trust that it's going to be there when they log back in, which mm-hmm. is value in and of itself. Um, and that's, that's, that's different in the world of subscriptions than I would argue in other types of, of businesses, but all businesses need to like try to get to this point. I want to close here before we get to our wrap up. I want to play a quick game of freemium versus free trial. Uh, I'm going to create a okay. couple like hypothetical companies and then you tell me if they would be wise to lean towards freemium or lean towards free trial or you tell me what I should, what I need to figure out in order to make the right decision. Okay. So let's say I am a company who has a software that um, tracks the opens and clicks when I send an email uh, to someone else. It tells me if they open it. It tells me if they click on the link inside of it. Uh, and it tells me how many times the email was opened. So piece of software. Okay. So it's like a tracker. for like Yeah. Like a mail tracking, tracking software. Superhuman yeah. or something like that. Sure. That would be a really good opportunity for a faux free trial. So you get a hundred visits a month or opens a month. Target customer of that hundred should probably be set at like 14 to 21 days for your target customer. And then the soccer mom or dad who doesn't really have a reason, but thought this was interesting. Uh, he or she might not be a, a good fit now, but they're going to keep getting value and then eventually probably convert when they you know, want to use the product more or they have that one document they really want to see if it was opened. Example two, I have a app that allows me to order delivery from local ethnic grocery stores in my okay. region, freemium or free trial. Uh, order grocery delivery, I should say. Yeah, so delivery, but it's unique. To, it's not just like general groceries. It's like it's oh, like specifically like yeah, like the Indian grocery store or the um, Ethiopian grocery store, things like that. Yeah, I would, and this is what a lot of these products have done, which I think is smart. I would offer up some sort of um, promotion that you know basically is like, hey, you know, get your first order free or you know something like that. Like a coupon um, code thing or a promo yeah, code? Yeah, that kind of thing. And that's not really a free trial. That's just more of like, um, you know, a promotion. I would test if maybe giving people 14 days of free delivery changed their behavior. The problem is that the frequency of usage is, is really determinant on like your direction here because um, if they're using it often, great. But if they're only going to use it twice a month when they do their grocery shopping, if they're in the suburbs or something, you know, that month probably it's, it's just not 
they're not going to use it enough to like get that value in the sense of, oh, I have to keep using this. So just use the coupon because it'll help you convert a little bit better. And then, you know, just the app by itself, I, you could categorize as freemium because it's giving them access, right? The information, they don't have to go to like the three different stores or something like that to see if they have it. So there it's a little bit of choose your own adventure depending on, you know, some of the circumstances. I'll give you one more example. Let's say I sell enterprise software that operates in supply chain logistics. Um, it is specifically helping companies um, better track last mile delivery. Um, that's probably as much as I know about supply chain logistics. So I, I don't know how much more I can say about that example. Uh, but some, some software that you log into to better manage and optimize your last mile delivery. Okay. So if I'm actually optimizing, I'm not just tracking. So meaning like I do some things and I have some workflows that basically tell me, you know, I can adjust depending on the, the circumstance. I might give the actual physical tracking and analytics away for free and then charge based on the automation or whatever it is. So this is where I think it's like a lot of companies can do this type of model. It's like, convince me that you have something, even if it's like a BS if then statement algorithm, where if you track this particular metric in some way, um, you tell me it's good or bad on something, right? Hey, everyone's orders are getting delivered within, you know, three days in the last mile and you're at five, right? And we've identified these like four different things. It's kind of like HubSpot's website grader from back in the day. Mm -hmm. If you can give me something that gives me some value and maybe there is some continual value there, but also creates the requirement. So basically saying like, I don't know if you knew this, but you should be at three days and you're at five days. And by the way, we have the thing that helps you go from five days to three days. That's a really fantastic experience. Now, if it's truly, truly enterprise, uh, I don't know if like that lead is going to hook up that data, uh, but you might be able to do that through a sales process or uh, there might be a freemium type product in, um, I don't know, some, some shipping companies have done this where it's just like the marketplace is free. Like they put the work in to put everything in one place and then they charge you based on, you know, even using the software or getting different, you know, shipments or these types of things. So yeah, again, a little bit of choose your own adventure, but I think enterprise, normally you're not going to have like a pure free product. You're going to have a tangential free product or you can, you know, use it within the sales process to kind of scope out, you know, the ROI that they're going to uh, get from you. Well, you survived the game show freemium for free trial. <laughs> if this was The Price is Right painful. and you won the car, if this there was Saw, the movie, then you didn't die. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, quick wrap up here. Uh, where can our listeners find you and learn more about ProfitWell? Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm Paticus on Twitter, childhood nickname, <laughs> P-A-T-T-I-C-U-S. Um, or just hit me up at Patrick at Prof. Com. If you have a question on benchmarks, pricing, retention, these types of things in the subscription world, um, we've probably written something on your question. And so happy to, to kind of short circuit your research um, or at the very least, we'll know where, who to, who to go to. So more than happy to help. And uh, yeah, I've enjoyed the time. Like I mentioned, his content is amazing. A um, couple final questions here. Who do you want to give a shout out to? Could be a team member, customer, someone in your network, a mentor, et cetera. Yeah, I... Uh, that's a really great question. And I think what's also a good sign is like, there are five names that just instantly <laughs> came into my mind. That means I'm having like a good, good quarter so far. I'm going to shout out Maeve, Maeve Duffy. So she's, uh, our chief of staff and uh, chief of staff at a company that's not, you know, hundreds of people, if not thousands is basically a kitchen sink role. So yes, you have projects, but then you get a lot of like, oh crap, that needs to be solved in the next mm. week. Oh, need you to drop everything and do it. And uh, she basically does those things without complaints and without adding any more stress and just kind of takes care of those things. And uh, yeah, so shout out to Maeve. Um, but you know, I, I now want to say three more, but I'll, I, you know, you only gave me one, so I'll stop. There. All right. Shout out to Maeve Duffy. Uh, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first, then I'll toss it to you. Uh, to me, I think it comes back to, um, you actually said it in the beginning. You said, uh, when we talk about freemium economics of freemium versus free trial, I, I think it goes back to a base mindset that 
you have to look at this as an acquisition model, not a revenue model. When you said that, uh, I think a lot of companies conflate those two and understanding an acquisition model should fundamentally change how you think about it. Um, yeah. Patrick, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners? Um, you take the one I like. To, I always like to take. So <laughs> you took that one. So I, I think uh, the, the big thing I would say is it's not an either or thing like freemium, no freemium, free trial, these types of things. I think a lot of people just like, should you raise money? Should you stay bootstrapped? There's a lot of like these debates that you know, at the end, like the cogent, you know, arguments are, well, it depends, right? And I think with freemium, <laughs> it really does depend. I think freemium is in your future uh, just because of the nature of rising acquisition costs in every channel, you know, known to growth. Um, and so I think it's one of those things where start thinking about it and then understand that you don't have to give up everything um, to have a great experience like you were talking about, but also get the advantages of freemium. So yeah, just know that it's that scalpel, not a sledgehammer. And, you know, it doesn't have to be what everyone else is doing, but there's a version that'll help your business. My final question, which is how we end every episode on the show. Fill in the blank, Patrick. Entrepreneurship is blank. Oh, I knew, like, I knew this was coming and I just don't, uh, <laughs> uh, I think that entrepreneurship is harder than people, uh, harder than people say, but gives you a breadth of wisdom that you only get by being an entrepreneur. And so I think everyone should try it in some form at some point um, in their life. And without going into a run on sentence, I'll just like end it there. <laughs> Period. Full stop. He is Patrick Campbell. Patrick, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking forward to staying a part of your network and continuing to build our relationship together. This is awesome. awesome, guys. Appreciate it. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guest for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.